Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. This morning I want to take some time to share some thoughts with you of the parable of the talents. So um, oftentimes we'll gain revelation of scripture and then read other scripture with that understanding and we gain new perspective. So as you might remember, I'm in school. I'm working on a bachelor's degree. And in a recent class, I had an assignment to go over the parable of the talents, which is Matthew 25, verse 14 through 30, if you're trying to follow along. Uh, we had to answer some questions, and, and one of the, the questions that kind of just, it just punched me in the face. The question was, what is the lesson that Jesus is teaching in this parable? Um, I shared this with our leadership group, and the conversation that followed was very powerful, so I want to try to unpack as much information as I can and share with you guys. Um, so just try to follow along here. I'm reading out of the New American Standard Bible. So if it sounds funny, that's why. Um, So Matthew 25, verse 14. And as Nathan says, context. We're always looking at context. At the the end of verse 13, well, Jesus Jesus began teaching teaching the disciples about the kingdom of heaven, what the kingdom of heaven is like. And at the end of verse 13, watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh, He doesn't stop and say, okay, the parable of the talents. There's no break there. It's immediately into the next sentence. So we'll start there at verse 14. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey. What is it? The kingdom of heaven is what we're talking about. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents and to another two and to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who had received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, well, good, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who had also received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew I I reaped where I did not sow and gather where I, I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have put my money in the bank And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given. 
and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a lot to swallow. That's a tough bit of scripture to go through. So my overall assignment was simple enough, but this question required an answer that was going to stick. My initial response to the parable was probably like a lot of you, the, the master just seemed to be so hard on that last guy, like, I just don't think that was fair treatment. I think a lot of us get stuck with viewing God as a tyrant and unfair. And so to tackle that notion, we'll go a long way around this parable and kind of see what God revealed, revealed and, and I'll share with, with you what my heart is. Um, I don't want to confuse anyone. So I urge you that if something is not quite connecting, please come have a conversation with me. I love to eat. We could have dinner. <laughs> Amanda likes to cook. It's a parent. So, so for argument's sake, this parable is a call to use my gift. And the question is, what, what is a gift? How do we define gift? And recall how I stated that sometimes when we receive revelation... It sort of changes how we read other scriptures. And it's amazing at times, if you receive it, it sort of unlocks things in your heart and, and you gain some, some really great understanding of God's word. So by reading Ephesians 4, the de- definition of gift takes on an important perspective. So jump over with me to Ephesians 4, chapter 4. And so we're clear, this, this chapter is dealing with unity. Most of this year I've been reading in Ephesians 4, and it's, it's kind of fed my spirit all year this year. It's been, it's been very impactful for me. Um, Ephesians 4 works on unity, and the purpose of that unity is maturity in Christ. And I also think it's a call to discipleship. But we'll get around to see that if you guys get the same understanding. So Ephesians 4, verse 8. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of, of captives. And he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had ascended into the lower part, descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself, also he who ascended far above the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. We're here again. Now, looking at this, Paul kind of goes on a side tangent there in verse 9. And it's, it's important that he's naming Jesus as he who ascended. Paul does this to clearly communicate that we are talking about Jesus. So I want to go back to verse 8 and reread that and, and read it without the interruption of that, that little side tangent to see if you get the full thought. So Ephesians verse 8, Therefore it says, He ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Jump to verse 11. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the works of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. For me, that kind of clears up what Paul is trying to communicate. Sometimes an explanation of of a thought clouds up the full thought. 
I'm not trying to take scripture out of it. I'm just seeing where Paul was going. I believe these are the gifts that God has given us. But they're not just limited to those five that are listed. Um, If you read through Ephesians 4 with that kind of thought in mind, you'll see there are many gifts that God has given to us, and each one of us has a different measure of those gifts. To compound this thought, we all have a, that we all have a purpose in this body to live as one in maturity to the full measure of Christ. That we have all been entrusted with a gift, some more than others. We can go over to Romans 12, still with Paul. Romans 12, verse 4, where Paul is sharing with yet another body, another church, the same message. For just as we have many members, Romans 12, verse 4, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service, in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, He who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. So here's the kicker. We're not given talents to go bury them in the sand. Ephesians 4.12 says, For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. So gifts, talents, finances, all these things that we're referring to today are what we're to be doing. So with that in mind, I started to think about investment, but not in a secular way, not not about money, but, but in a way that God would invest in us. So when God called you and you received him and were saved, He made an investment in you. But actually, that investment was made long before on the cross, long before we were here. He expects a a return on this investment. And in Matthew 26, verse 18, it says, "And And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end. We know this. We've read this. We call it the Great Commission. But Scripture tells us that we're to share the gospel and the love of God through what? Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Jesus speaks about how a hospital is not for the healthy and the church is for the brokenhearted. But with Paul, we also learned that the church is not just for the broken, but it's also for the teaching of God's people. This is a place where we can come and make disciples so that they can reach the world. So now I begin to look at this parable through the lens of discipleship. It's one more perspective. It's one more idea that's changed in my heart. He invested in me, so I'm the talent. And he expects me to make more talents. 
So we go back to the beginning when I shared the notion that the master was unfair. I thought, I had a thought, it came to me last week after Nathan's message. Um, and I found it kind of interesting. Our posture towards God is very important here. God is not a tyrant that lords over us. And we need to understand that our Heavenly Father doesn't want us to come into the room looking for punishment. Matthew 25, 24 says, And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. You see, fear is a very powerful enemy. <clears throat> but I remember John, 1 John 4.18, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. God's love is perfect. It's perfect. We need to remember that when we're outside of his will, the enemy has access to our heart. And in these times, we've got to put God in the right place. We have to have that right posture of, of who God is. So, if he's where you run to, fear has no place there. His perfect love does what? It, it casts out fear. The servant's view of his master is broken. He's viewing the master in fear, not in light of mercy. The master did not have to call his slaves and entrust them with anything. One talent was 20 years' wages. I think that this kind of lends the idea, really, that we're not talking about money. We're talking about life. We're talking about life and, and how to spend it. And most people, I don't think, would know what to do with 20 years' wages. I wouldn't. I'd have a lot of things I'd like to buy. <laughs> Just spend it. <clears throat> Think about the servant that was given five talents. That's a hundred years of wages. And he immediately went and doubled it. In context, for the third servant to take this gift and just bury it in the sand. He really shows an attitude of rebellion. Most of us might not understand that once we receive Jesus, there's no reason to fear the wrath of God anymore. Um, remember my last message, I wanted to get off the fence. I, I talked to you guys about church or not. And the motivation for that was in Revelation 15, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were hot or cold. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. It would almost have been better for that servant to take that money and blow it and not come back. When we read the master's reply to the servant, it's very important to try to understand the tone and the way that he responds to his accusations. He doesn't accept that he's a hard and, and unfair master. 
what I think it's an NIV, there's a question mark at the end of verse 27. <clears throat> so if you read it kind of with this, maybe even sarcasm, you really think I reap where I don't sow? You, you really think that I'm a hard master? Then you should have known better. You should have known better. It's not fun when we realize our plans were not successful because we didn't allow God to order our steps. And Matthew Henry's commentary remarks that Jesus does not tolerate idleness and goes on to say we, all we have is from him. We have nothing that is our own except sin. How many of us struggle with serving God because our view is not through the lens of mercy? You might say, well, that's for you. I, I can't do what you do. It brings me to my next point. Jesus didn't say in his parable of the talents that they were given. If I give you something, it belongs to you. So, for it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. They weren't given, but the property was entrusted. And then the next verse, to each according to his own ability. So like I said, if I give you something, it belongs to you. The word entrusted is purposed. There's a reason that word is there. Entrust is defined as assign the responsibility for doing something to someone, put something into someone's care or protection. That small detail cannot be missed. The fact is, it, the master implies that he's coming back by using the word entrust. So there is a communi communicated command attached to being entrusted with the possessions. God calls whom he will. Here is where, during our discussion, Barney kind of shared the word fiduciary. I said it right. <laughs> this, is a, this involves trust. This involves a great deal of responsibility. And I think uh, it says involving trust, especially with regard to relationship between a trustee and a beneficiary. So this is not a given lump sum of money, but a task that was expected to be carried out. The master knows his servant and their capabilities in the same way that our father knows our capabilities. The fact that I being saved am entrusted with a command, also known as the Great Commission, The same goes for all of us. If you'll trust and surrender to God, he'll meet you where you step. I believe that. I believe that he, he steps out to meet you. <clears throat> and he, he wants that investment to return to him. So back to the part that, that I struggle with. I mean, we might all struggle with. Where does that leave me? Where do I fit within the tapestry? Sometimes we get caught up looking at the flashy things, you know, international minister, international missionary, famous pastor. Well, if I can't have any of that, then what's the point? Hmm. We're not called to be rock stars. The, the two hours of our time spent last night packing boxes was absolutely fantastic. 
And, you know, these boxes will reach more people than we could have ever hoped. And I think Josh and Jess, I don't see them in here. They must be teaching. But um, think about how much work they would have to do by themselves if they hadn't had our help. <clears throat> These moments are what makes our community strong. I'm reminded of a song. It's called City on a Hill. This song speaks of why the city on the, the hill fell. And the city on the hill is the church. We're the light on the hill. The, the original chorus in a song speaks a lot of truth. It says, you see, the poets thought the dancers were shallow, and the soldiers thought the poets were weak. The elders thought the young ones were foolish, and the rich man never heard the poor man speak. If we don't see each other as equals, equally valuable, we stunt the growth of our unity. Remember not to get caught up on the word talent. Each talent was given according to how each servant was able to use it. The master knows each servant, and he knows their potential. Not what they're capable of. He knows their potential. He knows our hearts. It doesn't matter to him as long as you will go. And don't get stuck with that cliche that God only gives you what you can handle you will be amazed what the human body can live through. And I don't, I don't know how many times that's been used to dismiss a hardship. God only gives you what you can handle. It's just not true. I think God calls us to things that are way, way beyond us so that we have to find people to help us. That's called community. Josh and Jess would have had to pack 143 boxes by themselves, without community. Where's the unity in that? I don't think it would be very enjoyable to do it all alone. This is why we come to church. So that community, so that we can be in community with like-minded believers, following after God's heart, learning and working together to reach others. And that's kind of a perfect segue into something I mentioned earlier about unity and maturity in Christ. So we'll go back to Ephesians 12, or 4.12. <clears throat> Actually, we'll jump to just verse 13. Verse 13 says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and from and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But, speaking the truth in love, may we grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. There's a lot going on in Ephesians 4. And I urge you guys to read that scripture. I urge you to read through Ephesians. <clears throat> knowing that we are called by God to come together, but also knowing that we don't just come together to listen to Pastor Nathan talk. We all have a purpose. If we clean, if we just simply clean the church, just do it in joy. 
if, if it's running the soundboard, if it's running ProPresenter, do it with joy, Paula. <laughs> each, each person has a part to play in this body, and, and it's equally valuable to edify and, and the building up of God's people. I wound up doing things, the things that I do here, by a simple conversation. I simply went to a man and said, somebody needs to do something to help. <laughs> but he looked me in the eyes with all sincerity and he just said would you help us would you help us so and I know Mark stands up here and he harps on us about needing volunteers we need greeters we need teachers for the kids we need soundboard we need we need we have a need Would you help us? Men, I know there's a heavy call in our life. I know the weight. And I know that sometimes it can be scary. But just as I have stood up, I ask that you would stand up as well. Stand up and accept that calling on your life. Be the head of your household. Lead your family. Hold your sword in one hand and carry the burden in the other. You're not alone in this. I stepped out and I have gained so many more brothers in doing so. And I'm so happy that I did. <clears throat> it, is, it is all of us that makes the body and we are each have a part to play in the heavenly body of Christ. It is the rhythm of the dancers that gives the poet life. It is the spirit of the poet that gives the soldiers strength to fight. It is the fire of the young ones. It is the wisdom of the old. It is the story of the poor man that's needing to be told. When we realize that we're together, strangers in a world that we don't belong to, working towards the same goal, we'll begin to see breakthrough and lives changing. And, and we'll see this breakthrough in a way that it's just a blessing for us. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.